welcome to the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. My name is Barney. And I'm Biggs. Everyone loves an underdog, and I think it's pretty safe to say that there are few on-screen underdogs that are under-er. <laughs> How would you say that? More under of a dog than Daniel LaRusso from The Karate Kid. And while that inspirational underdog story is definitely at the heart of this movie, I think one of the things that makes it so really special is the fact that it kind of has something for everyone, right? It's it's a sports movie with some great action scenes. It's got romance. Romance that I think, and I feel like you'll agree, feels pretty real and never uh, cheesy. It's funny. Thanks to Pat Morita, this movie is laugh-out-loud funny. After all, in real life, I mean, the, he wasn't a karate master. He was a comedian. It was a stand-up comic and a comedic actor. It's also a martial arts movie, and we couldn't get enough of those back in the 80s, right? Amen. Uh, the Last Dragon, Enter the Ninja, American Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja. Man, we loved us some ninjas back <laughs> in the 80s. Bloodsport. Kickboxer, Best of the Best, Above the Law, uh, a bunch of Chuck Norris movies, uh, and of course, martial arts, gymnastics fusion masterpiece, Jim Cotta. A perennial masterpiece. This was different, though. This wasn't <laughs> a movie about some, some badass martial arts master. It was a story we could relate to. One that felt like, it, it felt like a fresh take on a martial arts movie, but there was also definitely still something familiar about it, right? Totally. There are certainly some beats of Empire Strikes Back, the impetuous student and the older, wiser mentor and master. Obviously, there are also a lot of Rocky beats, the sports movie comeback film. And of course, it's directed by the same director of Rocky. And it's interesting to think about this. So John Avelson directed both of these films, and this was actually written by Robert Kamen, who brought his own story to it, apparently, which is kind of fascinating. He drew from events in his own life. When he was younger, he got beat up by a gang of bullies and decided to pick up martial arts in order to defend himself. His first teacher apparently was a little bit like John Kreese and was teaching martial arts as a tool for violence and revenge. So he moved on to study an Okinawan karate form under a Japanese teacher who was of the lineage of the actual Mr. Miyagi who founded the style, this Goju-ryu karate style that this is all based on. It turns out they also fused in a story on this news article about this young child of a single mother who had earned a black belt to defend himself against neighborhood bullies and... Sylvester Stallone himself apparently used to joke that the writer had ripped off the Rocky films with the Karate Kid. It received universal acclaim from critics, many of whom praised the action sequences, writing, storyline, performances, and music, and went on to be a huge commercial success, grossing $100 million in the U.S. and Canada, making it one of the highest-grossing films of 1984 and a perennial cultural touchstone to this very day. All right, let's run down the story of the Karate Kid. The movie starts off with Daniel LaRusso and his mom driving away from their soon-to-be old neighborhood in Newark, New Jersey, in hilariously Italian fashion. The mom yells out the window. She's like, hey, tell Uncle Louie the Parmesan and the wine are in the fridge, huh? It's a nice bottle of uh, Fettuccine 1981. <laughs> 
Yes, a true New Jersey Italian family, like no messing around. It turns out Daniel actually wasn't written as an Italian character, uh, but that was changed when Ralph, the Italian stallion Macchio, was cast. So they travel across the country to their new home in L.A., uh, Reseda, to be exact. And it's there where he meets the man that will one day become the Yoda to his Luke, Mr. Miyagi. While he, you know, right after they get there, while he's moving stuff into the new place, Daniel meets a neighbor kid who goes to his new school and he gets invited to a beach party. And that's where he meets cheerleader Allie Mills. Allie with an eye. Yes, Allie with an eye that night. And they hit it off, drawing the attention of Allie's ex-boyfriend, Johnny, who uh, who just showed up to the beach with his crew on their sweet 80s dirt bikes. Johnny confronts Allie and Daniel sticks up for her and finds out the hard way, the very... The very hard way <laughs> that his Newark, New Jersey YMCA karate is no match for Johnny's. And he receives just a humiliating beating, earning himself the nickname, the Karate Kid. You know, I didn't, I don't think I ever noticed this before, which is crazy because it's, it's the name of the movie. But the next day at school, a kid says something like, hey, look, it's the Karate Kid. And you think I would have caught that. But, uh. Yeah, I, I don't remember noticing that before rewatching this movie just a couple days ago for this episode. And I just have to point out, Penn Jillette's movie rules state that whenever the title of the film itself is mentioned within the film, the group applauds. So at that point, we all have to applaud during the film. <laughs> whenever a film is another, another, the title of another film is mentioned in the dialogue, for example, I don't want to be home alone tonight, everybody has to whisper, Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why I find those so delightful. Uh, Daniel continues to be bullied by Johnny and his crew. At one point, they run him off the road on his bike like Bran and the Goonies. It's not quite as dramatic of a drop off for Daniel as it was for Bran. But hey, I mean, he still totally could have gotten killed. And uh, Daniel decides that he needs to up his karate game after that and visits the local dojo, Cobra Kai, only to discover that it's where Johnny and his fellow Cobras train. Poor Daniel. So he's got to go back to learning his karate moves from a book, which Mr. Miyagi, like, low-key totally makes fun of him for at one point. Mr. Miyagi shows up to fix Daniel's, you know, their faucet or something, and he sees Daniel working out of some book and Mr. Miyagi's like, Oh, karate out of a book. Good for you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so the two of them go on to become pretty good friends. Uh, maybe too good of friends because there's one point where Daniel pays a visit to him in his workshop. And Mr. Miyagi basically says, look, kid, you're hanging around an old man too much. Maybe go make some friends your own age or something. <laughs> Uh, meet a girl or whatever. And Daniel tells him about the Halloween dance at a school and says he's not going because he doesn't have a costume. And Miyagi's like, well, if you had a costume, would you go to the dance with other children and, and stop bothering me? And so he makes Daniel a costume that we actually see in a little bit of foreshadowing hanging behind Daniel. Uh, it's the famous shower costume. And, uh, Makes it for him, sends him on his way. At the dance, Daniel catches Johnny alone in a bathroom stall, rolling a, a fat doobie. 
that's a marijuana cigarette <laughs> for you squares out there. Um, <laughs> and decides to k- kind of out of the blue, um, decides to douse Johnny with a hose with water. And this ends up being just a terrible idea as Johnny and the Cobras proceed to chase Daniel out of the school through the street. There's like a, a, a car crash, like a multi-car pileup as they run across <laughs> the street. And they catch him just as he's about to climb the fence into his apartment building. And they just throw a, a brutal beating on him. And he's saved by none other than the mild-mannered handyman, Mr. Miyagi, who makes short work of the Cobra Kai. Kids. And you have to admit that whole sequence is incredibly cinematic. It's just beautifully shot. It's kind of gritty and realistic. Like you feel, you really feel for Daniel. It's, it's actually quite a compelling scene. And when, when Mr. Miyagi jumps in a bit superhero-ish, you are cheering for him at the end. And speaking of superheroes, if you remember when Daniel wakes up at Mr. Miyagi's place, he asked Mr. Miyagi, like, Where, where's, where'd Spider-Man go? The guy who saved me. That's cool. Right? Uh, and he looks like, kind of looks like Spider-Man. Like, you see him very stealthily hop on top of the fence behind Daniel uh, and hop down. It's a great it's a great shot. So after this, Daniel convinces Miyagi to teach him karate. And they head over to the Cobra Kai dojo to tell the resident sensei there to maybe discourage his students from continuing to try and murder Daniel anymore. Uh, and this is where we are properly introduced to John Kreese, all-around bad guy and founder of Cobra Kai, kind of. Spoiler alert for, for Karate Kid Part 3, <laughs> an underrated threequel, if there ever was one. Uh, I think it's right up there with Donkey Kong 3 <laughs> as an under, underappreciated third installment of a series, but I digress. So uh, Kreese agrees to tell his students to leave Daniel alone while he trains for the upcoming all-Valley Karate Tournament, which Mr. Miyagi just springs on him and, and says he's competing in, much to Daniel's surprise. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here, on the street, in competition, a man confronts you, he is the enemy. An enemy deserves no mercy. John Kreese. And so begins Daniel's training. His training in the ancient Okinawan art of home improvement. <laughs> uh, Mr. Miyagi... Takes Daniel to his house, his beautiful house, and starts having him do everything from sanding his deck to painting his house. The most famous of the chores he's tasked with, of course, is waxing Mr. Miyagi's amazing collection of gorgeous classic cars. Wax on, wax off. He's instructed to do all of these very repetitive tasks in a very specific way, using very specific movements and motions, even when Daniel points out, like, hey, this would be easier if I just did it this way. Mr. Miyagi's like, no, 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 you got to do it this way. Eventually, Daniel's frustration at seemingly being exploited for free manual labor comes to a head, (laughs) and we get what is, uh, I think it's arguably one of the most iconic moments in 80s movie history. Mr. Miyagi reveals that All of the week's worth of chores has actually been building Daniel's muscle memory and teaching him the fundamentals of karate. You know I'm a crier, and I got to tell you the truth. 
I cried at that moment. I just tears welled up because you really feel that that all came to fruition in that moment. It was really beautifully done. And Pat Morita is just brilliant in this scene. And he's hilarious. His frustration with Daniel when he says, show me sand the floor. And Daniel gets down on his hands and knees and starts (laughs) doing it. It's just, it's perfect. So now Daniel's training begins in earnest. And the most important lesson Mr. Miyagi imparts upon him, and it's a recurring theme throughout the movie, is this idea of balance. And during a training session at the beach, beach while working on his, his balance, Daniel sees Mr. Miyagi perched atop a, a stump performing the crane technique, a kick that Mr. Miyagi goes on to explain to Daniel, if performed correctly is impossible to defend against. Once again, spoiler alert for a a later installment in the series, but the climactic fight scene of Karate Kid 2 begs to differ. Well, and this is the perfect time for a little shout-out to the montages. Montages play such an important role in this movie, and sometimes I forget how delightful they are. They're certainly still used in modern films, but gosh, I feel like nobody did it quite like they did it back in the 80s. And here we get a series of montages. We get the training montage, where he's painting the fence, sanding the floor, wax on, wax off. We get the second training montage, when Mr. Miyagi was drinking the night before and is sort of out resting and recovering, where we see some awesome moments of Daniel-san alone. He's in his boat he's practicing the crane technique it's fabulous and then of course we get a little foreshadowing here you're the best montage at the tournament which is really spectacularly done and i just love how much they convey in such a short time you know one of the things i think we talk about a recurring theme on on our show is that many great films particularly those in the 80s where we focus tell so much story and are able to convey so much information and connection with these characters in such a small amount of time that sometimes it seems to eclipse, you know, 14 or more hours that we might see on a, on a long form narrative or imagine like a recurring series, you spend hundreds of hours, some of the characters, and you still don't know them as well as you do in these shorter films. But Part of the secret, I think, is that a a montage sequence can just convey a tremendous amount and really take you there emotionally, even if it's sort of cheap, even if it's using music and beautiful images to sort of take you there. I think that's all fair in the context of cinematography. And that brings us to the crane technique itself. So the crane kick is a fictionalized version of a real kick in this style of karate. And apparently it's called the flying front kick or Mai Tobigeri in Japanese. And this particular version of it was created by Daryl Vidal for the film. What I think is hilarious is that its practicality, as you might imagine, has been questioned by a lot of people. You know, you're sort of standing there on one foot flat on the ground. Your arms are wide open. So it's a little bit of a of a vulnerable position. And then you have to be pretty strong to leap off one foot and kick from it, right? I mean, that's really what you're doing. You're kind of leaping and kicking off the same foot. And it seems kind of ridiculous in a way. But apparently it was used effectively in an MMA fight by Lyoto Machida. And apparently it was very similar to this. And the commentators, one of which apparently was Joe Rogan, noted immediately that this was very similar to a crane technique. And Daryl Vidal, who as you said, invented the crane technique for this movie is in the movie. He's one of the, he's the guy Johnny fights in the semifinals. And he's the, he's the one guy who is very obviously a real martial artist. You see him doing these crazy flip kicks and you know, he's the real deal. Uh, Unlike Lamar, 
from <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds, who's also in this movie as one of the one of the Cobras who gets taken out pretty early on in is, the competition. Is that true? I didn't know that. Lamar. From yeah, oh, yeah. No, he's totally in there. <laughs> so Daniel's doing uh, great in the tournament until Crease, the Cobra Kai sensei, orders Bobby, one of his students, to put Daniel, quote, out of commission. And he nearly does with this vicious and illegal strike to Daniel's knee and that gets Bobby disqualified. But with Mr. Miyagi's help, Daniel comes back and wins the tournament, beating Johnny in the final round with Mr. Miyagi's crane technique. And that's where I think we need to start our discussion of the film is with Mr. Miyagi. Now, when we saw Karate Kid, we knew Pat Morita as Arnold on Happy Days, right? He yes. owned Arnold's drive-in. We'd also seen him on, on Sanford and Son. Pat Morita apparently considered the late, great Red Fox as kind of a, a comedy mentor. But those were both, they, they were reruns. They were shows before our time. This was our Pat Morita, the, the Pat Morita that we knew. So much, so much so that part of me is still, to this day, a little shocked that he didn't actually speak with the accent he used while playing Mr. Miyagi when I see him in, in interviews and stuff. It was so convincing. He based Mr. Miyagi's mannerisms and speech after martial arts master Fumio Demura, who was Morita's stunt slash fight double in the movie. Uh, Demura was actually offered the role of Mr. Miyagi before Pat Morita was even considered for it, but apparently he, he turned it down because he didn't believe his English was strong enough to pull off a, a major speaking role in a film. He's a fascinating character, and there's a documentary about him called The Real Miyagi that I really want to check out, especially after re-watching this to do this episode. Uh, we'll put a link to it up on this episode's page on our site. Be sure to check it out at McQuaidArcade.com. We always have a bunch of fun bonus material for each episode. Just go to McQuaidArcade.com, click on Episodes, check it out. Uh, in our episode about Fright Night, the vampire 80s movie, we mentioned the fact that writer and director Tom Holland once said that Charlie Brewster, the teenage main character of the film, while he is the, the engine of the story, the element that keeps moving it forward, his elderly mentor slash friend Peter Vincent is its heart, the heart of the story. And I think we can absolutely say the same thing here about Mr. Miyagi. Mm. He is the heart and soul of this movie. Originally, the script called for the, the movie to end with everybody lifting Daniel up on, on his shoulders, on their shoulders after the tournament and carrying him off. But it doesn't. They changed it. So the last shot we see is Mr. Miyagi's smiling face. And I think that was definitely the right call, the best way to end this movie. Now, Ralph Macchio did a great job as Daniel. I mean, he's pretty perfect for the part. Charlie Sheen was actually, uh, he, he turned down the role. And it's funny to think, right, about just what, how different of a movie this would have been if he hadn't turned it down. I feel like he was just way, way too cool for this part. Yes. Part of the charm of Ralph Macho is that he's kind of gawky and insecure, but also really charming. And what's remarkable, of course, is that he really seemed like a teenager, although he was actually 22 years old when he played this Yeah, role. he was older than Johnny, older than William Zabko, who played Johnny. Uh, so Ralph Macho's casting was was definitely great. But I don't think anyone could imagine another actor bringing Mr. Miyagi to life the way Pat Morita did. Which is crazy, considering the fact that 
the studio and the producer were totally opposed to the idea of casting him at first. In an article for Variety a while back, Ralph Macchio had this to say about producer Jerry Weintraub. He says, uh, a big debate early on was that Jerry didn't want Pat Morita to play Mr. Miyagi. He supposedly said, there's no way Arnold from Happy Days is going to be in this movie. Jerry would never admit that he was wrong, but he later came to Pat and said, I almost made the mistake of my life. Not only are, are Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio both great in their respective roles, but the chemistry between the two of them was was really pretty perfect, right? It really was. And I also think that Elizabeth Shue hit the pitch-perfect note in her role. She was girl next door, really lovely and charming, but cool enough to be believable as being the object of a number of people's affection. And I really liked their chemistry, too. There were some really heartwarming kind of tender moments between the two of them. And I, I really think all three of these actors make this movie come to life and make it work. And for the, the little bit of it that we get at the tournament, the th chemistry of the three main characters together was really great too. The scene where they're signing in and Mr. Miyagi pretends to, to correct the checking guy's pronunciation of his name while he's stealing the dude's black belt out of his duffel bag and handing it to Allie on the sly. And she just goes with it because um, <laughs> Daniel can't compete without it. When they're walking in and they're, to and they're told that only teachers and their students are allowed. And Allie pretends to be uh, Mr. Miyagi's interpreter. It's such good stuff. But the real moments of this movie happen when Mr. Miyagi and Daniel are together on screen. And there are so many great ones. Uh, when Daniel asks Mr. Miyagi what kind of belt he has meaning what kind of karate belt. And Mr. Miyagi says, canvas, JC Penny, 398. <laughs> uh, the, the chopstick fly catching scene, Daniel's birthday, where Mr. Miyagi gives him the karate gi with the, the beautiful, uh, bonsai tree on it and a car, this gorgeous classic car, uh, the beautiful yellow convertible that Daniel picks out of the, the lineup of old cars he has. Uh, a car that, fun fact, Ralph Macchio owns to this day. The producer gave him this car. It's a, apparently a, a 1947 Ford Super Deluxe. Gorgeous. Wow. And as Daniel's about to drive away to meet Allie for their date, in this new beautiful car, he tells Mr. Miyagi that he's the best friend he's ever had. And you believe it. <laughs> Ralph Macho does a great job and it's really sweet. Mr. Miyagi's response is really sweet. It's a, it's a wonderful moment in a really great scene. There's another scene that they share that is so powerful and, and heartbreaking and almost certainly the one that out of a bunch of great scenes earned Pat Morita, his Oscar nomination. He was, he was nominated for an Academy award for best supporting actor for this role. Daniel shows up to find Mr. Miyagi drunk, wearing his World War II Army uniform, celebrating his uh, anniversary with his wife's portrait. And we find out that while he was off fighting in World War II, his wife and child died due to complications at childbirth, imprisoned by the, the country he was off fighting for. Um... Daniel puts Mr. Miyagi to bed 
And for a moment, the, the roles of their father-son-like relationship are reversed. And it's just beautiful. And now, I I hadn't seen this movie in quite a few years. And I kind of forgotten about this scene, which is crazy considering how powerful it is. And it was such a gut punch. I cried my eyes out at this scene. And I just want to remind us that all of these incredible moments happened in two hours and seven minutes. One movie. We got to see all of these different facets, all of these different moments, all these different touch points in such a short period of time. It just speaks to the incredible efficiency of emotional gravity right in this film. No, they truly like literally don't make them like this anymore. Cobra Kai, the show that is a continuation of this story is a multi-season show about to go into its third season based on the groundwork, the foundation they laid here in this movie in just a couple of hours. Uh, it is a really fun show, by the way. It's on Netflix. If you like Karate Kid, you should definitely check it out. Let's talk about the soundtrack to this movie. Um, there are three sort of standouts here, I feel like. There's You're the Best Around by Joe Esposito that we hear during the, the tournament montage. And we, of course, already mentioned that this film was directed by John Avildsen, who directed Rocky, but it turns out that's not the only connection. The score for Karate Kid was actually composed by Bill Conti, a frequent collaborator of the director, since their original pairing on the original Rocky in 1976. And it turns out that this song, You're the Best, was actually written for Rocky Three, which was came out in 1982, but was rejected by Sly Stallone in favor of Survivor's hit song that we all know and love, Eye of the Tiger. Coincidentally, Survivor also performed the main theme, The Moment of Truth, uh, with music and lyrics by Bill Conti for The Karate Kid. So lots of connections between these two franchises. Fun fact, Eye of the Tiger was the first piece of music that I ever owned. Uh, I had the 45 single record. Remember those <laughs> with the, the weird little spider adapter you had to put in the big hole in the middle to make it work on your turntable. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, the actual theme song of this movie that you hear notes of throughout the score, but you don't actually hear the song until the very end is moment of truth by survivor. They're a Chicago band, you know, uh, the video for, for moment of truth was actually filmed right by where we grew up in the Chicago, uh, Chicago Botanic Gardens. But I think more people definitely associate you're the best with this movie because it's such a big part of the tournament scene. Then, of course, we have Cruel Summer by Bananarama. Great song. Uh, in terms of, of commercial recognition, I mean, definitely the, the biggest song on the soundtrack, right? It got a ton of radio play. Although, and I have to look this up, I don't think it actually ended up on the soundtrack album. The rest of which, by the way was not great (laughs) (laughs) young hearts the song that played during the the date at golf and stuff is just a really bad like generically 80s sounding song (laughs) they actually use it again in cobra kai the show uh in a similar scene and it's funny i i watched cobra kai before re-watching karate kid for this episode And so when I heard it in Cobra Kai, I didn't actually, I didn't recognize it. I didn't realize they were doing a cute little callback to Karate Kid, to the movie. I was just confused why they picked such like a dumb, like cheesy song for the scene. There are so many little nods to Karate Kid like that in in the show, in Cobra Kai. 
uh, including another song from the movie that, again, is pretty cheesy. It's called The Ride. It's by a group called The Matches. It's the one that, that's playing when Johnny and the Cobras show up at the beach on their dirt bikes. Like Cruel Summer, I want to say it's it's not actually on the soundtrack album for some reason. Let's talk some trivia for this movie. So we mentioned that uh, Daniel was not actually going to be Italian in the original script. That was a detail they added after Ralph Macchio was cast. In the original script, his name was apparently going to be Daniel Weber. Uh, doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but it's fine. Unlike Johnny's original name, Donald Rice, which is just nowhere near as cool. He sounds like he would have been getting sand kicked in his face at the beach party along with Daniel. No <laughs> offense to anyone out there actually named Donald Rice, uh, but your name is just nowhere near as badass as Johnny Lawrence. The scene at the beginning of the movie where Daniel's mom are pulling away from their old neighborhood includes a bunch of kids kind of running after the car. Apparently those are just kids who really lived in that neighborhood where they were filming and they just kept hanging around and, and interfering with, with the filming of the scene. So the director said, look, if you just, if you leave us alone, I'll let you be in the movie. And so they were. That's he let him so be in cool. the movie. Chase after the car. Back in 1984, Columbia Pictures was owned by Coca-Cola. And there's some product placement uh, in this movie. Minute Made Orange Juice gets name dropped. And Daniel uh, drinks a Sprite in Mr. Miyagi's workshop with the logo sort of prominently disp- displayed for the camera. So when his kid, Kyle Eastwood didn't get the part of Daniel. Clint Eastwood apparently banned all Coke products from the set of his movies. Weird. What a strange way to protest. Yeah. He sure showed them. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about uh, Fumio Demura and how he was Pat Morita's fight double for a lot of the movie, including the skeleton costume fight scene after the Halloween dance. Apparently the scene, it needed a ton of takes because the actors, the kids playing the the Cobras were saying that Fumio was just too rough at hitting them too hard in an effort to make it look realistic. And I guess he told the director, look, let me film this, this scene with my students who are used to getting hit by me and we'll bang this out in one take. And apparently they did. We find out that Mr. Miyagi was part of the, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, which was a real infantry regiment, the most highly decorated for its size in the history of the United States Armed Forces, including 21 Medal of Honor recipients, like Mr. Miyagi, and it was made up almost entirely of second-generation Japanese-Americans. Earlier in the film, we got introduced to that healing technique that Mr. Miyagi used on Daniel's frozen shoulder. And of course, we see it again a little bit more prominently just before the final fight. This is right after Bobby puts Daniel out of commission from an illegal kick to the knee. Uh, He does it again. Mr. Miyagi claps his hands, rubs them together furiously. And then appears to manipulate the area or at least put his hands on there. And I thought this was amazing as a kid. This seemed like bordering on magic. But now I think as best I can tell, this would probably fit 
under something most similar to Reiki. So Reiki is a Japanese healing art that is actually not that ancient. It turns out it was probably, it really kind of came into modern discussion in probably the 1800s. It's not even that old, although people say it kind of traces back much farther and probably originally has connections to Chinese energy and energy practices that are much, much older. Um, But what's fascinating is that this technique the practitioner puts their hand or hands on the patient and the idea is they're using their vital energy or universal energy and transferring it through to the patient to help encourage healing either emotional or physical. And it's kind of interesting. So it was neat to see this. And of course now alternative and integrative medicines are so popular. So many people are talking about them. It was neat to look at it through the lens of today. It doesn't seem quite as magical. uh, Although back then it really did. And of course I think his, his efficacy was pretty amazing. He got rapid improvement and Daniel was able to go back and fight. Lord only knows what actually happened to his knee. Um, I thought that was kind of a neat, neat thing to see. You know, this movie had such a powerful cultural impact and continues to affect us. And of course now it's all getting reinforced and renewed with the Cobra Kai show. But one of our friends in high school has this hilarious series of him all over the world doing the crane technique pose. And it just became this this awesome calling card where wherever he went on vacation, he would just do the crane technique and take a picture. And they're so funny and so spot on that we have this collection. And it keeps reinforcing the tremendous impact of the Karate Kid. As you said, Cobra Kai has renewed interest in this story, in the Karate Kid. And one of the things I like most about the show is you know, in the Karate Kid, with as with so many stories from our childhood, things are very black and white, right? There's good guys, there's bad guys, uh, there's right, there's wrong. But something we that we probably didn't understand seeing this movie when we were like nine versus seeing it again as adults is, you know, real life is much more, it's more gray, right? And Cobra Kai does a great job of playing around with those gray areas, showing different points of view and there's a really a great video on YouTube by J Matthew Turner titled The Karate Kid Daniel is the real bully. And look, it's just for laughs. Uh he starts the video by calling Daniel a violent sociopath. <laughs> but there are some good points like how uh Daniel was he was kind of the aggressor on the beach. And how he showed up to the karate tournament without any understanding of the rules, which like legit made him a a danger to others. It's silly and it's clearly revisionist history, but uh, it's cool. It's a very cool video. I mean, it is a fascinating premise and and he does tell the story in a compelling way by the end i do think it it is clever and it raises some questions i do think it is a form of gaslighting because they have clearly established johnny and his boys as being troublemakers and i really feel like they've clearly established daniel as being a pretty good-hearted kid who's who's not really trying to get into trouble but you're right and of course we even talked about earlier that when things had settled down it it was quiet. That's when Daniel goes into that bathroom and sprays him with water. He sprays Johnny with water completely unprovoked. And that's actually right. That's what led to the big fight. You kind of can't blame them. It's like you instigated this huge fight out of nothing. Everyone was leaving you alone. So there's no doubt that there's something to this. But but it's like I often say, Back to the Future 2 
looked through the prism of 2020, I, I can't help but thinking same thing. Maybe some people view it as a tragedy that, you know, Biff was the hero and Marty was this little liberal upstart who's getting into trouble and has all these terrible ideas and it actually ends in a bad way. I don't know, but it is a fascinating, fascinating philosophical exploration. Hashtag Biff Tan in 2020. <laughs> uh, we'll put the video up on the uh, on this episode's page. Again, just go to McQuaidArcade.com, click on Episodes to check it out and just as we've come to the end of this cruel cruel summer literally so ends our episode we got to have an incredible emotional and philosophical journey with daniel-san mr miyagi and ali with an eye with cultural repercussions that continue to resonate to this very day and i think that it's safe to say that the karate kid will always live in our hearts in one way or another And on that note, stay limber.